Welcome to the Edge of Work podcast. I'm your host, Al D. This is a podcast for leaders who want to make sense of workplace trends and are looking for new ideas about how to lead people and grow their business in a changing world of work. During each episode, I'll bring you the latest experts, researchers, founders, and leaders to share new and unique ideas, as well as actionable advice around attracting and retaining talent, developing people, and building healthy and sustainable organizations. Welcome to the Edge of Work podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the Edge of Work podcast. Today's guest is Hillary Miller. Hillary is the Chief Learning Officer for the Penn State Health System. Today, we're going to be talking about two topics that are top of mind for many organizations in 2024. The first is employee retention, and the second is career mobility. In my mind, from all of the work that I've done, I have seen that hospitals and healthcare organizations in particular are a little bit more advanced in their thinking about these things because they are essential for them to be able to run their business effectively. If you went into a hospital that didn't have enough people or was constantly being disrupted because of employee attrition, it would have a problematic effect on the hospital's ability to deliver quality care for its patients. Hillary's going to talk a little bit about how she and her organization, and she as the chief learning officer, thinks about employee retention as well as career mobility, and how she and her colleagues at Penn State Health are bringing this to life inside of their organization. If you're focused on trying to retain employees this year or trying to roll out career mobility solutions, this is a great episode. As always, make sure to let me know what you think. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, and I hope you enjoy this episode. All right. Well, we're back with Hillary Miller on the edge of work. And Hillary, thank you so much for being here today. As guests, of, as uh, listeners of the podcast know, I always love starting with our guests with a warm-up question. So Hillary, my warm-up question for you is, what was your first job and what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, so my first real job, I was a babysitter, but my first real job was a lifeguard. And so I loved that job. I loved being around the kids and getting a tan and also becoming a really strong swimmer and learning all the safety skills. But I didn't realize until now that that kind of formed my sense of purpose with people and safety and security. And so I, yeah, lifeguarding, I I love it. I have really fond memories of that. Well, what I appreciate about that is the fact that sometimes you can certainly trace back to some of the early stages of your life to really find some of those things that are important to you and how they potentially manifest themselves later on in the work you do and in your career. And certainly since being a lifeguard, uh, you've gone on to do a number of different great things in your career and your work. But I guess for the sake of this conversation, could you share with our listeners, what is your job or role today? And how would you describe the work that you do? Sure. Yeah. So I serve in the role of chief learning officer And I'm really honored to be able to do that. Long story short, that's a role that really has responsibility at the system level. So we have five hospitals, 200 and outpatient clinics. I have a responsibility to the employees and I have a responsibility to our community members. So the first piece of that with the employees is making sure that they're taken care of. And that's through new hire training and orientation processes. That's through development pathways. That's through career mobility. And then to our community members to be a source of not only education, but also attraction into healthcare. A lot of people think healthcare is just doctors and nurses, and it takes a whole slew of services and skill sets uh, to help a hospital and a healthcare system run effectively. So I am responsible for coordinating learning strategy. So how do all these things intersect? How do we know that it's working 
how are we helping our folks to understand not only their job today, but their job tomorrow, but also have some excitement around trying new things as well. It's a big job and sounds like you have a lot going on. And I know that like many industries and organizations, your industry and your organization has certainly had to navigate through a lot of change and transformation in the workplace over the past few years. I would be curious to know from you, what are some either trends or insights you've seen from your own organization that have really impacted them the most? And then maybe as well as that, what are you looking forward to in a positive way in terms of either opportunities or changes that present themselves as you think about navigating this new world of work? Yeah, thank you. So I think one thing is in healthcare, we're in constant change because of regulatory changes and everything else that's happening in your marketplace and payers and all of those things. So healthcare workers are fairly resilient in that aspect. Obviously, we all went through COVID, but that shaped and changed things. So although we say, gosh, we're going to put that to bed, it actually brought to light some things that really were necessary in the workplace to make those changes. So especially when you're thinking about work-life balance and well-being, and some folks want this as their career, others, it's a job for them. And either one is okay. So I think for me, when we're looking at this from a Penn State Health perspective, is continuing to take care of the employees so that they can take care of the patient. People always laugh a little bit when I say that, but my first priority, of course, care deeply about the patient, but if our employees are not good, they cannot provide that service. And so when I think about the responsibilities that we have in, as an organization and things that have emerged is really listening to what well-being looks like for people and what does it mean? I don't use the term work-life balance. I don't know what that means. I think it's an evolution. It looks totally different for different people. But also when you look across industry, healthcare agnostic, folks have been pretty vocal about things that historically have been in the workplaces for a long time that it's not okay anymore. I don't know that some of it was ever okay. We just didn't know it wasn't okay. And now there's a big shiny microscope on all of that to say you can't do these things anymore. And really, I welcome that because these changes are actually creating better workplaces, even though we're going through the painful parts of trying to figure out that change. So when I think about the biggest change factor, it's career mobility. So we talk about skill building and all of that stuff, but people need to know that they have options and that we're acknowledging the fact that there are transferable skills. I want to put a pin on the career mobility one because I want to come back to that, but I want to go first into something that you mentioned, which I think is worth noting. You talked about the importance of the best way for you to take care of your patient. Patients starts with being able to take care of your employees. And I think something that's maybe wrapped in there is this idea of keeping your employees around so that they want to come and show up at work each and every day. And so could you start to start this kind of part of the discussion around, could you talk a little bit about why employee retention is so important, particularly to your organization and particularly for the type and nature of the work that you and your employees do each and every day in terms of serving patients? Yeah. So employee retention to me is one we want folks who are making that active choice to say, I want to be here. And here's the reason why. Because retention, naturally, you have folks who fold out of the organization that's healthy and it's normal. But when you have large percentages of people leaving and we're missing something, 
right? So it's paying attention to that. But two, it's saying you actually could have your whole career here if you wanted to. And I think that's what goes back to career mobility. So you may have started out as a patient care tech, moved your way into nursing, and now you're in informatics on the technology side. And it's you have to help people see that pathway, but also recognize that it's a highly individual choice. And so when you have high amounts of turnover in certain areas, unexpected, that continues, you're having to re-engage. And I think that's the change piece that most people struggle with is how do I, now I have to reskill a new person who doesn't know the team, doesn't know the environment, may know the work, but doesn't know the work here. And you go through those motions so often you actually begin to lose trust in the fact that you're going to have a stable period. So we're trying to get back to that stability, but also not remove the fact that people need to be okay with working with different people. That is the world that we live in today. So getting really strong in in teaming and not necessarily it has to be this team. So as you're talking, one of the things I think about that you said in there, which I think is important to note, is that sometimes employees do leave and that is a perfectly fine reality of it. And as you think about retention, could you just share a little bit more just about how you think about what might be a healthy measure of retention or how do you think about measuring retention or what are some of the either the leading indicators or the lagging indicators to know that you do have the right people or the right kinds of people or the right levels of people who are staying and then perhaps maybe even knowing when it's okay for your retention numbers to maybe drop because uh, people who are actively looking to do something else maybe be going outside of your organization to go to do that. But could you talk a little bit about some of the metrics and the, the measurements and thinking behind that? Sure. Yeah. I pay really close attention to that first 90 day mark, more specifically the first 45 days. So if you've got a high amount of folks who are exiting in a very short amount of time, that's concerning. And then I also look at the first six months. And what is really important to note when you think about orientation processes and culture is that that is folks' first exposure to your organization. However they view their department is typically how they'll end up viewing the organization because those are the folks that they're around. So when you have a lot of folks exiting in that very short window of time, that's a really good indicator that we're missing something, something's not working somewhere. On the flip side, when you have folks who've been with us for five to 10 years and say, naturally, I've evolved and I'm ready for the next step in my career and it's okay that it's not here. Awesome. Because there's still an advocate outside of the workplace, especially when that is a choice that I left on really great terms. They might be a boomerang employee that ends up coming back in the future. And so right now I pay really close attention to those short term. Do we have people exiting in a really just tight timeline But two, there's a natural threshold, and it depends on the role, but especially in the entry-level roles. They have a higher turnover piece because people are evolving into the next step. They're often going for something that has higher pay. They've grown their skills. So if I'm a nursing student and I might start off as a patient care tech, naturally, I'm going to leave that role to go into my next role. And so there's we don't worry about that because we're retaining them somewhere else. So it's important to unpack your retention metrics of if that led to growth and you being able to hire in another role with that individual, that is awesome. But also if we have a lot of people leaving a a shared space or an office space, or it's in the same department unit, 
or it's in like units across and we're just having a lot of people leave, we pay really close attention to that. One of the things that you mentioned when you were talking about retention is that wanting the importance of wanting people who are interested and excited to come to work each and every day or and helping them figure, and for that matter, helping them figure out that thing that drives or motivates them to want to show up and to serve your patients. I'd be curious to know, how does that happen in the sense of, like you mentioned, listening is an important aspect of it. But I also presume that sometimes employees don't always know the answer to that question, not because they're wrong or that they're not smart, but because sometimes it's, it's hard to really know. I'm just curious philosophically, what have you found or how have you found ways to unearth that in your employees so that when you can listen to that, you can actually do something? Because sometimes not everyone maybe knows what the answer to that question might be. Oh, yeah. And a lot of the times it's through focus groups. Mm -hmm. and asking a lot of different populations. So we use a lot of what I would call like focus groups across the organization that represent different populations of roles and people and backgrounds and everybody's starting from a different vantage point and starting place. And we remove the part about degrees, but we look at the limiting factors for folks. So what would prevent you from being able to go to this next thing. Sometimes it's the expense of the degree. So we lifted off costs for certain programs where tuition reimbursement just wasn't even feasible for them because they couldn't afford it upfront to get paid back. I think the other thing is showing people opportunities. So sometimes they need to see what that could look like first before they go, oh gosh, I never thought about that. So there has to be some prompts up front to say, did you know? These are some opportunities for you. You have these adjacent skills. And then that starts the curiosity factor. And then they start looking at, oh, what other what other things can I explore here and do? What matters to me and my family personally? What's my personal mission in my work? Like you have to pay really close attention to the mission statement and the values of an organization. If you're not in line with those, it's going to be harder for you to be in that organization or environment because if you're way out of sync with that, that's also a good indication up front that you need to pay attention to that. But yeah, I think just asking folks questions, but also giving them some prompts on what it could look like. So I'm imagining almost like if we were to say have a metaphorical toolkit, right, of different tools we could use around retention in that toolkit might be a number of different tools. I'd be curious for you, as you think about employee retention, broadly speaking, what are some examples of those tools that you might have in your employee retention toolkit that you particularly as a leader might pull on to really focus and optimize for employee retention at your company? Yeah, so going with folks who are people leaders, we really have to make sure that that bench strength is strong, but also that they have the skills that they need to do their own job and that's, these are hard roles, right? When you have responsibility for people in your care, you're not only managing the emotions that you have, you're navigating sometimes a lot of folks' personalities, skill sets, all of that stuff. So we spend a lot of time on the manager base with coaching and toolkits that they can pick up on team building. How do I have a really hard conversation? So we train them in crucial conversations. How do I get really good at self? So what's my level of emotional intelligence? How do I feel about conflict? And that also lends itself well to gratitude and appreciation opportunities. I'm not talking about pizza parties. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. It's really listening to say, gosh, when you did X, this was fantastic. And here's what that resulted in. And so when you start showing that consistent gratitude, 
people tend to boomerang that to other people. And so appreciation becomes part of the fabric. Listening becomes part of the fabric, but also that we are human beings and that we don't get this right all the time. And so we're trying to help people work outside of that perfectionism cycle of this isn't going to work just because you picked it up and deployed. It doesn't mean it's going to work automatically. You have to put some heart work into it. Hey there, it's Al. And thanks for listening to the Edge of Work podcast. I wanted to take a quick break to ask you a small favor. I'm loving doing this show and I hope you're enjoying it. And that's where I'd love your help. If you're enjoying this episode, I would really appreciate if you take a few minutes to leave a review and rate this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or simply just share it on social media or with your friends. I'm incredibly grateful for your support. Thank you. And let's get back to the show. One of the things that we talked about earlier and that you mentioned was around career development and career mobility. Could you share a little bit more just in terms of your own philosophy around career development and career mobility and why is it important for your organization? Yeah. So on a personal level, it's a two-way street. We can create all these amazing pathways, but unless you engage in them, they're not going to do much for you. So we really spend time on both fronts. I think it's an organization's job to create the opportunities as much as possible to foster a sense of mentorship and coaching, to allow for stretch assignments, to give people a chance to not do so great at something so that they can learn it. On the flip side, it's equally important that the person is engaging wants to do that. We can't make something happen for you. So just because you went through a program doesn't guarantee that you're automatically going to arrive at being at the next skill set. It takes some elbow grease and work. But when we make that easier as an organization for you to participate in that, where we make it okay to step away from work for a minute to go do this development work, where you don't feel like you're having to choose, or, hey, I have worker shortages in my area, I don't have time to go do that. So we've had to really get good at how do we do things in short bursts? How do we get information out in front of people so that they know they have this available, but also making sure that our leadership teams are allowing that time for development? Because even in times of worker shortages, development can't go to the wayside. And so it's finding where that, I guess, balance between stress and this is good, healthy stress and bad stress, right? But also finding times that really work for people. But I think the second piece that I would really highlight with career mobility is that it's an it's everybody's job in the organization to see that it is more important to retain the person in the org than it is in a department. And that is very hard for people sometimes when you have a really skilled person. So you have to have these talent pools and pipelines built up so that when somebody has the opportunity to grow, we're not holding on to them because we don't have somebody who can come in and fill the spot. I think that's such a good point. And I want to dive in then a little bit further, particularly to your point about making sure that I think what you're trying to maybe suggest is to prevent you know the concept of talent hoarding, right? In terms of, yeah. again, yeah. getting freeing managers from this idea that they need to hold on to the rest talent and that they can't share it. So could you talk a little bit more just about, or what have you done either culturally in your organization or just through training or other types of things to really 
encourage and empower this thinking amongst managers because I know, at least in a lot of other organizations, this is often one of the things that they can run into when trying to promote career mobility internally is that if I am a people manager, oftentimes I want to hold on to my best people because they're doing great work and I want them to keep doing great work for me. But any thoughts or perspectives around how you've been able to either from a cultural perspective or through programmatic ways to really empower and encourage managers to let go and to promote this kind of mindset of encouraging that mobility when it makes sense? Yeah, I think we're just on that journey. One is the getting off the idea of true t- uh, succession planning, where you're identifying one person. I We're getting away from that to say we need to look at the pool of people that we have across the org. That helps with that, number one, is when you know you have this great bench of folks that you can tap into for different things if they want to, right? So there's that piece of just because somebody has the talent doesn't mean that's what they want to do. I think the other piece is that it is one of the greatest and hardest signs of leadership. It is not truly not creating more followers. It's creating more folks who can go out and do the things in the world. So what an awesome compliment to a people leader when somebody has gotten so good that they now need to move into another space. But that feels so counterintuitive for most people where they're like, if it, if I was so good, they'd be staying. No, actually they're growing beyond you and that's okay because you've done your job and that's awesome. So in addition to this idea of uh, empowering managers to let go of their employees, in addition to making the time and space to allow people to explore, I would just be curious to know, are, are there any either programs or processes or things that you put in place to promote career development and mobility inside of your organization that you want to highlight or maybe share with the rest of us? Yeah. So I think one is, and we're just early in our journey on this, is this talent pooling pilot that we have going on where it's creating mentor circles. And so we're intentionally pairing folks with people outside of their department. This person then becomes a sponsor for them, but they start getting stretch assignments. And I think the other thing too is consistency and how we view development. So what are the core things that you have to be in this organization? We got to be really good at and have a strong sense of self. And then core programs about leading others. And that term leadership and management gets used synonymously all the time, and they are not the same thing. So we want folks to be great operators functionally and be able to manage those things. But people leadership is a career change. When you go in and have responsibility for people directly underneath you, that is the biggest piece that we're focusing on right now because it isn't an individual contributor who, who got promoted, they don't figure those things out right away. You have to have pathways to help them grow in those skills of coaching and all of that stuff. So when I think about career mobility as one, test things out in your organization. That's what we do. It's very organizational specific, but there are outstanding frameworks out there uh, that you can utilize as a starting point. So we do a lot of pilots. We test things, we tweak them. When we find they're working well, we deploy them. So a couple of things to add in there that I think might contribute to this dialogue. So the first thing was, is that I was at ATD, the annual conference last year in 2023 in May, and there was another health hospital system that had shared a pilot that they had done around some of these almost, I think they call them career circles, if you will, where they basically brought together maybe groups of maybe eight to 10 different hospital professionals, and they were cross departmental by nature. So there were some nurses, some 
technicians, but people different backgrounds, but then they also had trained facilitators to work them through to talk about their careers. And one of the benefits of it, and I think to a point you maybe talked about earlier was that it was helpful for other people to hear what other people in different departments were thinking or experiencing and also to see relationships sprout from that from people who may not have been able to have interfaced on a day-to-day basis because you know the hospital is very large and you may work with a lot of people but you may not work with everyone and so that was one really interesting uh, 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 program that I saw out there that was really promoting I think some of the things that you're doing in terms of testing out trying new things but also leveraging the diverse people in different roles that exist within a healthcare organization. And then I was gonna say the other thing which I appreciate you brought up is this idea that not everyone needs to be a people manager, but be for the people who might be interested in it, making sure that they are aware of what that looks like, the role and expectations that it provides, as well as making sure that they have the right kind of training to be effective in that role. And I guess my question to you back is, I wonder if, or I don't know if you've seen any good examples or tried anything, but I think oftentimes people want to become people managers because they see it as the path for growth. Have you had any uh, success in either helping people see other paths for growth that don't just involve becoming a people manager or essentially inheriting headcount? Because I think there are, but I just think that sometimes we've limited ourselves into thinking about career growth as being becoming a manager or becoming a leader. And I'd just be curious if you've had any success or have tried anything to promote other diverse forms of like growth and development. Yeah, we tackle that throughout our development programs. And that's why we moved our emerging leaders, which is for non-people leaders. You can't be a people leader to be in that. Um, They're individual contributors who want to explore what it takes to be in people leadership. And that is such a different tactic than preparing people to be a people leader. Sometimes they don't realize, oh, That isn't what I actually want to do after I found out more about it. And I think that's more powerful for people to have the choice in that before they start doing it, to understand the dynamic and the mechanics and how important those roles are. And they're wonderful roles, but it's not for everybody. But two, that we have a lot of roles that are consultant level, right? Where you're serving in that advisory capacity and organizational development consultants, one of them. That is a major career growth to be in that role. It doesn't have supervisory, yet the influence part of that is so significant. So we're trying to help people understand that even if you don't have direct reports, your influence and ability to talk with people can be just as powerful on being able to navigate hierarchies and all of those things. But yeah, for me, it's more important that people understand what it takes to be in those roles so that they can properly explore that up front rather than finding out after the fact and realizing, oh man, this isn't what I thought it was. Yeah, for sure. Well, Hillary, on the Edgework podcast, we have a couple questions that we love to ask each and every guest that come on. And so I want to kick off those questions uh, with you right now. So that first question is, what is one idea that you want leaders to think differently about so that they can create a better world of work for their people? Being vulnerable. So this is one of those things where I always laugh where it's like, God forbid we share a mistake or say that we had a bad day or we're human beings. And so I think the more people see humanity, that doesn't mean you're coming into work and sharing everything that's happening in your life, but it is a connection point. And when people can see that you don't have all the answers, it's so simple to say, you know what? I don't know. I'm not really the expert in that. Let me explore So I think vulnerability is a huge one. And I think a lot of people have different 
um, definitions of what that is, but boy, does that make a difference in connections with people. I like that one. And last but not least, Hillary, what is what does a better world of work look like to you? Where people have the power of choice and are landing in places because they want to be there, but also recognize the power that they have in that. And so when you realize the locus of control that you have, your attitude, your mindset, that's all yours to own. That is not somebody else's, that's you. But also if everybody you know, took that level of control with themselves. Can you imagine how beautiful work would be? Oh, incredible. I love that answer. And I love the passion you have behind it. Hillary Miller, the chief learning officer at Penn State. I'll thank you so much for coming on the Edge of Work podcast. If people want to learn more about you or connect with you, where can they find you? Oh, you'll find a really colorful picture of me on LinkedIn. And I usually have a new diversity background every month. So feel free to shoot me a message, Hillary B. Miller on LinkedIn. Be happy to talk with you. Hi, everyone. LD here. Thank you so much for listening to the Edge of Work podcast. If you like what you heard, I encourage you to share the episode with a friend, as well as to head over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review and let us know what you think. I would be forever grateful if you did that. I would also love to hear directly from you about what episodes you're listening to or any suggestions you have for how we can make it better. You can find me on LinkedIn. 